All right, well, good morning, everybody. It's so great to be back. Uh, I've been away for the last couple of weeks, and like I said, if you see me scratching, don't worry, I'm not contagious. I am literally uh, peeling off my vacation tan. Um, dang, the sun is hot in Cuba, and uh, yeah, it was, yeah, you feel bad for me, all of you, I know. The pity is like I'm glowing and you're like pale, and no, anyways. <laughs> I'm paying for it. I got burnt. And with my First Nations blood, I don't normally get burnt, but I got burnt. So at night, I'm just kind of... Anyways, it's so great to be back after being away for the last couple of weeks. And uh, I just want to share quickly, um, I also had just such a privilege over the last couple of weeks to be in in different areas around the world and, and hear just some incredible stories of what God is doing all over the place, in our country, in our province, in our city, around the world. And I know sometimes we as the church can feel a little discouraged, that we can feel like God is not moving. And I just want to reassure you that God is on the move, right? We don't need to be praying for a spiritual revival to happen. It's already happening. People are coming to Christ all over the world by the hundreds of thousands daily, Okay, it's absolutely mind-blowing what is going on. And sometimes, you know, we can sit there and look at these numbers and forget that every single number is a person that God loves. Every single one of these numbers, these statistics, the number of churches that are being planted through our fellowship, number of people coming to Jesus through tools like Church Online and things like that, at the end of the day, it's all about people. And people matter to God. And because people matter to God, we are going to do everything that we can do as a church family because you matter to us as well. Because you matter to God, you matter to us. And so I'm really excited to kick off this new series for the next four weeks called How to Neighbor. And as we kick this series off, I want to ask you a question. If you just look at the news, if you look at the world around us, How many of you, you would just look at the world and say, man, our world is changing at an incredible rate. (laughs) You ever notice this? Like, just think in the last 10 years of the stuff that we're talking about at the government level, at the healthcare level, the things we're discussing and fighting and arguing over. Would you have even imagined 10 years ago we'd be talking about this stuff? I know I've. I I could never have seen any of this coming. Our culture is changing faster and faster and faster and faster each and every year. But as culture changes, the teachings of Jesus remain the same. As culture changes, the teaching of Jesus stays the same. And so what I want to do is I want to start off just looking at one of the key things that Jesus taught. And this is going to be kind of the anchor for our series for the next couple of weeks. And this is found in Luke chapter 10. You see, there was this religious man, this teacher of the religious Jewish law. And he was trying to trap Jesus because he didn't like what Jesus was doing. Jesus was going around and teaching with an authority that these religious leaders didn't have. He's casting out demons. He's raising the dead. He's healing the blind. He's healing the lame. Doing all these incredible things. So this religious leader comes up to Jesus and says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the ultimate evangelistic question. Don't we wish people would come up to us at work or at school or in our family 
what do I need to have eternal life? Well, maybe some of the people that you deal with at work and in your family and in your schools, they're trying to trap you just like this person is trying to trap Jesus. And so Jesus replies, you know, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And this expert in the law turns around and answers. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus replied, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So here you've got this religious leader who knows exactly what is expected of him. There's no surprise. He knows what it means to be a follower of God. He knows exactly what he should be doing. But again, didn't like the answer. Because look at his response. But he wanted to justify himself. It says in verse 29. So he asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? Do I need to love these people? Do I need to love that person? I want to love who I'm choosing to love. And as culture radically is changing all around us, we as the church have got to look at the teachings of Jesus. We need to look at the principles that Jesus teaches because we could be trying to love our neighbor the way the church did 50 years ago. We could be trying to love our neighbor the way we did 20 years ago. And because culture has changed so radically, if the church is still trying to love people like we did 25 years ago, culture may feel like we don't love them. Because they're not, their culture, their world is changed radically, but we've been stuck in how this is what church does. This is what church does. This is what church does. And we're not called to be a group of people that does. We're called to be a group of people who are. Who are the hands and feet of Jesus for such a time as this. So we're going to be talking, we're going to be asking ourselves the question, who is my neighbor? And this is a great question for each and every one of us to ask. And we're going to spend four weeks looking at four different topics that I think are so incredibly important for us to look at in our culture today. And today I want us to kick this series off talking about how the church is called to love the lonely. To love the lonely. Recently, I heard a story of an individual who, who just celebrated a birthday. And this individual who celebrated their birthday through social media, through Facebook, through text messages, through their cell phone, received over 300 happy birthdays. Doesn't that sound awesome? 300 different people click that little button on social media, send a little text message, happy birthday. And what happened in the heart of this individual is with every single message that came, this person became sadder and sadder and sadder. Because all they wanted was someone to take them out for a cup of coffee. 300 text messages, one hour with another human being over a cup of coffee. You see, we live in a culture today that is more connected than any other culture in human history. We can access information from anywhere in the world. When I was on vacation in Cuba, I'm going to be honest, I didn't know anything about Cuba before I got onto the airplane. 
So by the time I got off the airplane, I was an expert. I was. I knew all about their government. I knew about all their structures. Uh, Part of me was paranoid. Am I going to get off the plane and be arrested? Are Christians even allowed in this country? I don't know. I better find out before I get off the plane. You know, start telling people about Jesus. Yeah, come this way to a nice Cuban prison, Pastor Kevin. You know, I don't know. But I wanted to know. We are more connected today than any other time in human history. But we have become the most lonely society in human history. Just look at these numbers. These are Canadian statistics of our culture today here in Canada. More than 9 million people often or always feel lonely out of a population of 35 million. 360,000 people over the age of 65 have not had a conversation with a friend or a family member in over a week. 200,000 of those seniors haven't had a conversation with a friend or a family member in over a month. This isn't just a senior's problem. Two-thirds of Canadian universities have reported deep feelings of loneliness. The suicide rate for men in Canada is three times higher than the suicide rate for women. The number one reason, loneliness. That most men in our country today don't have a single person to talk to about their lives apart from their spouse. And when you look at the rate of singleness on the increase in our country, most men share with nobody. We are an incredibly lonely country. And what's fascinating when you look at the word of God, when you talk about loneliness, we can see loneliness play out in the very first few chapters of the Bible. You see, when God was creating the universe, God created the earth, God created the stars, he created the skies and the heavens, God created the animals, and every single thing that God created, it was good. It was good. It was good. And then God created Adam, but Adam was alone. And suddenly God looked at Adam and said, you know what, this is not good. This is not good that Adam should be alone. And so God created a helpmate, created Eve, so that Adam would not be alone. God takes loneliness very seriously. And we are seeing in our day, in our age, more and more people who are incredibly lonely. Our health services are spending millions of dollars today dealing with the epidemic of relational poverty in our country. And I have come to believe that it is not government, it is not the health services that are going to heal our land of relational poverty. It's the church. Only the church can heal this broken nation on how lonely people have become. And the reality is, as we go through a topic today, this may stir in some of your hearts because I actually believe that this isn't just an outside the church issue. I'm willing to believe, I'm willing to bet an arm with the number of people in this room and the number of people who watch us online that right now, hearing the sound of my voice, 
are people who are lonely. People who sit in a crowded church every single Sunday and feel alone. The stay-at-home mom who feels alone. The person who is at the top of their game in their business and everyone admires them, but they feel lonely because they don't have a single close friend. The college student surrounded by so many people in their dorm feeling alone. The person in a dysfunctional marriage or a dysfunctional relationship feeling alone. And it's fascinating to me when we study this, again, in a culture that is so connected. Why do we feel so alone? Like Experts on this topic have actually uh, brought it, um, have studied this and said there's kind of four key reasons why loneliness, why relational poverty is just kind of rampant in our country today. And they look at four key things. I'm not going to get into details. This is just me geeking out over the research. <laughs> so if you want to write these down, talk about them in your life group. But we see in our culture today, one of the reasons for loneliness is just the sheer breakdown of families. The breakdown of the family. A couple breaks up. So, well, you get the church, I get the dog. <laughs> you get these friends, I get those friends. Well, we actually liked her better than we liked him. So we're kind of glad they broke up. We don't have to talk to this guy anymore, right? Whatever the reason. Um, but in the breakdown of relationship plays a big part of it. Um, increased mobility. The beauty of having a connected world is you can go get a job anywhere on the planet. But we move at a rapid pace. We don't plant roots anymore. So we travel, we move for work and allowing our relationships to kind of suffer for that. We also see a vast increase in heavy workloads. How are you doing? Busy. How are you? Busy. Have a nice day. <laughs> Let's move on. And it's not just our jobs. It's family responsibilities and getting kids to this and that and all of these things that just kind of are crowding out our time. We don't even have time for that cup of coffee. So love to go for a coffee with you. I'm free in nine weeks. Let's compare our schedules. And then the other thing that has really increased depression, particularly among millennials and young people, is the rise of social media. When you put that picture online and nobody likes it, it actually plays out into our insecurities, into our fears, our, our longing to be accepted, and no one clicks the little button. It leads to depression. And so I'm a big, big believer that this is a huge problem, again, that only the church can handle. And so because of that, I'd actually like us to take a moment to pray. I'd like us to pray before we jump into the Bible and pray for those who are lonely and pray for how we as a church family can respond to those who are lonely. So let's pray together. Father God, as we um, look to the teachings of Jesus this morning as a church family, I pray, God, that you would give each and every one of us eyes to see those who are hurting. I pray, Lord, that you would give us a heart to care. Heavenly Father, I pray as we look at the word today that you would bring someone to mind. I pray that you would put it on our minds and our hearts, someone who might be seated just a few chairs from us who is hurting. Someone I know who might be hurting. Bring that person to mind, whether it's someone in my office who gets overlooked, whether it's an elderly person in my family that we're not connecting to enough, 
whether it's someone in my school who's not fitting in and is always alone. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see those who are hurting and a heart to care. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I want to do this morning is I'm going to look at three different uh, times, three different parts of Jesus' ministry on how Jesus loved the lonely. Like one of the things that we have to do as, as followers of Jesus, people who believe that the Bible is the word of God, is in some places how we respond to certain situations, the Bible is very clear. And where the Bible is very clear, do what the Bible says. <laughs> Let me repeat that. Where the Bible is very clear, do what the Bible says. <laughs> where the Bible is not clear on a topic, you look for biblical principles that could apply to that similar situation. So some of these stories that we're going to look at over the next four weeks, because some of the issues that we're going to talk about, the Bible doesn't directly address them. They're cultural today. But we find the biblical principle on how we as followers of Jesus respond to that today's problem. So today we're going to look at three different ways how Jesus showed love to the lonely. And because we are to be the hands and feet of Jesus, this is also great ways that you and I can show love to the lonely. So the first way is this, and I encourage you to write these down, talk about them in your life group this week. The first is this, we love with touch. We love with touch. In Matthew chapter 8, we read a story of Jesus coming to a man who had leprosy. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 2, it says, A man with leprosy came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You see, left untreated, the disease of leprosy would kill a person in about 10 years. And the thing with leprosy is it would start out in a way that you, would, you wouldn't even see this disease coming. It would start out with you just feeling tired and you're, you're kind of just achy. How many of you are tired and achy? Right? I mean, seriously, we're all left. We better go to the hospital after church today. We could be carrying leprosy for all we know. Like, I'm tired and achy pretty much every day now since I turned 47. I don't know what happened. I felt awesome at 46. Now I feel old. It was just literally this change. But we feel tired and achy. And these, remember, these are farmers. These are people working the land, raising sheep. They probably felt tired and achy constantly, right? They couldn't go with their, with their insurance plan and go get a nice massage or anything like that, right? But what would happen shortly thereafter of kind of this feeling tired and achy, then scaly spots would start to develop. And then their body would begin to be covered with lumps. And then these lumps would start filling with pus the lumps would actually cause their facial features to change. And if you see pictures of, of people who are suffering from leprosy, a lot of the times they look like animals. Yeah, actually, it starts changing the face where a lot of people say people, humans start looking like lions. And so back in Jesus' day, it wasn't that you looked like lions. You looked demonic. You looked like a demon. You looked like a devil. And then these uh, lumps would end, actually start forming onto your vocal cords. And your voice would change and start kind of reflecting. Your voice would then begin to sound like the animal you were looking like, would begin to sound like the demon you were looking like. 
And then these pusses would begin to rot and open up and decompose. The flesh is literally decomposing on your bones. And there would be this stench. And when the Jewish people would see someone who had leprosy, they would scream out, unclean, to ensure no one would go near that person. They were shunned from their society. They were shunned from their community. They were put into special little buildings outside of town. You don't want to go anywhere near them. One, because you were afraid to catch it. And two, if you touched one of them, you couldn't go to church. Because the Jewish people believed in something called cleanliness. And that you had to be spiritually clean in order to come into the presence of God. So if you touched a non-Jewish person, if you touched a dead animal, if you touched someone with leprosy, you couldn't go to the temple. You couldn't even worship. So these people were cast out, completely outside of their community. That's the man who comes to Jesus. He said, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And then in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 8, we see Jesus' response. Jesus reached out his hand, and he touched the man. He said, I'm willing. Be clean. And immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. When you think of this story, Jesus didn't need to touch him. Right? Like we've seen other miracles of Jesus healing people without touching them. In fact, we've even seen there's other parts in the New Testament where we see Jesus healing people who aren't even anywhere near him. When someone comes up and says, Hey, could you heal my servant? They're at home sick. Yeah, they're healed. (laughs) Jesus doesn't even need to be in the room to provide healing. Yet in this case, Jesus touched the man. And why do you think in this case Jesus touched him? Now the text doesn't say this, but I think Jesus is modeling something for the church. Perhaps it's because the leper didn't just need healing from their disease. They needed healing from the fact that they were completely cast out of their community. But they were alone. And Jesus wanted this man to know that he's loved. And he showed love through touch. I remember years ago, uh, when I first became a pastor, I've been a pastor for about 12 years now. And one of the things when I went into pastoral ministry that I was so excited about, I was excited to teach the Bible. I was excited to preach. I was excited to mentor people and disciple people. I was excited to work on church systems and organizational stuff and, and leadership and all that kind of stuff. Like I was like just so excited about this. And I was an associate pastor and we were in a large church at the time, about 900 people in the church. And the, the, the senior pastor was incredibly swamped. He was looking at just dumping stuff onto my desk. And I was just taking it because I was loving every second of it. He said, okay, Kev, the other thing that you're going to take off my plate is from now on, you're going to visit everybody in the hospital. Whoa, wait a minute. I didn't sign up for that. I, I, I hate hospitals. I, I do. Those of you who work in hospitals, you're like superheroes to me. 
Because I was the guy, and no, no word of a lie, uh, years ago I, I kind of had a back injury, and so I'd gone for some back x-rays. And so the doctor had taken x-rays of my back and put a pic, an x-ray on this light wall of my spine on the wall. I passed out. <laughs> Just looking at an x-ray of my spine. <laughs> Boom! I'm not, no word of a lie. Just out. Okay? Another time I had to go for a blood test. I was in the hospital, I had to, you know, where they draw blood. And I saw the needle, and I went like this. Don't do that. Um, because the needle broke and stayed in my arm, and then the blood started coming out, and I passed out. <laughs> okay? Me in hospitals, not a fan. So as a new pastor, going, okay, well, here's this person. They want you to go visit. Here's this person. Go visit. Here's, I would literally walk into the hospital like this. <laughs> Stand by the door. <laughs> As far as possible, hi, can I pray for you? Jesus loves you, this I know, the Bible tells you so, amen, goodbye. Okay, like get out of the room as fast as possible. And then I was taking uh, some of my pastoral courses. I was studying at at seminary, and um, one of my professors said, the greatest thing that the church can do is touch someone. The greatest thing that we can do as a follower of Jesus, especially to the sick, especially to the lonely, is touch them. And our assignment, God bless this professor, I hate him, um, but our assignment was to journal every hospital visit as we touched people. And we were, and we were told what to do. Walk in and put your hand on their shoulder. Walk in, hold their hand. When you leave, kiss them on the forehead. Simple to do when, you know, someone's got an appendicitis. Very difficult to do when there's tubes and all this other stuff. And God radically changed me through that one assignment. Showing the love of Jesus through touch. Holding a hand. Putting your hand on a shoulder. Kissing someone's forehead. Stroking their hair. Not anymore. I miss it. (laughs) Now it's kind of like this, like Velcro. It kind of feels, it's a little different now, but... Um, Jesus showed love through touch and we as the people of God can show love as well people need to be touched by the church people need to be touched by the church we can't approach the lonely like this we approach the lonely with hands outstretched like Jesus did so that's the first way that we can show love, is we love by touch. The second way is we love by listening. We love by listening. Um, I think listening has become a lost art. And I say this as a person who speaks for a living. <laughs> listening has become a lost art because I think when most of us, and, you know, search your heart on this one, maybe I'm the only person who does this, but when you're in a conversation with someone, Think about it for a moment. Are you listening in order to further the conversation, or are you waiting for a pause to jump in and give your opinion? Or are you waiting when you're hearing someone talking about something bad that's going on in their life, do you have a story that is worse than theirs and you're ready to share it to one-up them? We don't listen anymore for, to hear what the people are saying, we are listening, already thinking about how we are going to respond. Right? The person in front of us, 
talking, sharing, and all we can do is, how am I going to respond? How am I going to respond? How am I going to respond? Husbands, how many of you do this with your wives? When your wife is sharing a problem, guys, I mean, okay, I'm, we all do this. We're all sitting there going, we're not, I don't, I, honey, is this a want to listen to you thing? Or is this a honey, I got to fix this thing? You know, like it's almost, we want to ask that question right at the beginning. Because then we know how to step into this conversation, right? Oh, this is a listening one? Okay, great. Don't fix it, don't fix it, don't fix it, don't fix it. Okay? That's what we do. We're not listening to listen. We're listening to solve the problem. And it's not just a man thing. I think women are just as guilty of it too. But here we see a great story of Jesus in Luke chapter 24, of Jesus listening. You see, in Luke chapter 24, this happens after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And you have to remember, it's hard for us 2,000 years after the resurrection to fully grasp this. But the followers of Jesus were expecting Jesus to be their king. Right? They were a people living under Roman rule. They were expecting that the Messiah was going to come and completely free them from Rome and reestablish God's kingdom through Israel on earth. And then Jesus is crucified and put into a tomb. Talking massive depression, massive anxiety, massive loneliness, because this is not turning out that the way that they had expected things to go. And then there's this story of two guys walking along a road, and they're depressed, they're lonely, their eternal hopes have been completely dashed by the death of Jesus. And then in Luke 24, verse 17, we see Jesus asked them, What are you discussing as you walk along? Again, funny question, because Jesus kind of, he's God, right? He kind of knows already. What are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them, named Cleopas, asked, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And Jesus could have responded, well, of course I know what's happening. The Messiah has come, and he's on the third day, and he rose again, and he could have given all the answers. He could have corrected everything. He could have just cut them off. But Jesus said, what things? What things? What are you discussing? Again, I think in this very short story, we see some principles of Jesus here on how we show love to people as we show love by actually listening to what they're talking about. And asking them questions to draw them out. Now, again, I'm going to admit, as a person who speaks for a living, um, I stink at this. Um, my wife, Danielle, is awesome at this. And Danielle has been kind of mentoring me and teaching me on how to do this better. To stop just trying to respond and actually listen. Ask questions. <laughs> Here's something so funny. Am I going to share this? Yeah, this is this. Yeah, let's just let's go here. This is how bad I am at this. So on Friday, someone popped into my office. As I was literally writing this part of the sermon about listening, okay, and starts talking about all their travel. And I went, oh, that's awesome. I was just in Oklahoma City last week. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then, and blah, 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 blah. As I'm writing a section on being a good listener. Thank you, Lord, for the humility. And I stopped myself. Tell me about that. 
How long is that drive? How was the flight? Was the food any good? Questions, ask questions, ask questions, because we don't know what people are going through. We don't know where they're at. We don't know. And so I know sometimes this can be hard for us. I think we have to develop the spiritual discipline of biting our tongues. (laughs) Stop talking so much and spend more time listening. I believe that the church should be the place where anybody can talk about anything in a safe way. Let me say that again. I believe that the church, out of any other place on the planet, should be a place where anybody can share and talk about anything that they're dealing with. Because we're showing the love of Jesus to them. We don't shut them down. We don't put them in their place. We don't correct them. There's a time for correcting. But there's a time for listening. And we can show love by listening. So the first way that we see Jesus showing love is we we love by touch. We also love by listening. And then finally, um, we love with our time. We love with our time. The ministry of Jesus, when you read in the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you just read those four books of the Bible. And when you put it into perspective that Jesus' ministry on earth was only about three years, he looked incredibly busy. That ministry looked exhausting. That is not kind of our three-year strategic plan as a church to do everything Jesus did. I think we'd burn everybody out. But when you actually uncover and you look deeper into the stories, we actually don't see Jesus being all that busy. We just see him being available. We don't see him being busy. We never see Jesus in a rush to get anywhere. He's kind of just walking along, singing a song. I don't know where that came from. Huge crowds following him. All of this stuff going on. People wanting his time, people wanting him to heal. And we never get the sense that Jesus is rushed. One of my favorite stories about Jesus is the time when he's in this house and he's teaching people. And he's teaching and, and people are so drawn to his teaching ministry that the house is overflowing. The house is completely packed full of people. There's people outside, people trying to climb in through the windows and look. You know, and again, as a, as a teacher, that gets me really excited. It's like, oh, Lord, please, one day, you know, would people be just clamoring at the doors to hear my teaching? Okay, bam, would people just be busting through? Imagine that, like on Sunday morning, people are looking through the windows to hear our sermons. Oh, man, wouldn't that be awesome? We've made it as a church and as a Bible teacher. We just want more and more people to come in and hear our teaching, right? And then there's these four friends, and they have another friend who's paralyzed, and they know Jesus can heal him, but they can't get to Jesus. And so they do something crazy, is they rip off the roof. They climb up onto the building, they bust through the clay, they bust through the stone, they bust through the straw, they bust through the sticks to get their friend to Jesus. Can you imagine Jesus' deacons? The ones who oversee the building construction. Jesus, this doesn't fit our strategic plan of putting a hole in the ceiling for people to come in here. 
you know how much that's going to cost Jesus to fix this house? <laughs> right? But what we see in Jesus' response is we don't see Jesus respond. Well, actually, excuse me, can we just wait a moment? I've got two more points to make in my teaching. I have to finish this sermon. No. He looks at this man and he says, your sins are forgiven. Not only are your sins forgiven, get up and walk. Just radically changed everything that was going on in that room. Right? See, Jesus doesn't see people as an interruption. Jesus doesn't see people as an interruption. He sees them as an opportunity to show the love of God. You and I can be so busy in life that the lonely are an interruption to us. They're an interruption to what I had planned for today. They're an interruption for my plans. They're an interruption for my strategic objectives. They're an, uh, uh, they're an interruption at work. They're an interruption as I'm studying for this exam. They're an interruption as I'm writing this paper. Jesus never saw people as an interruption. And I'll admit, I've had, there was a season in my ministry where people were an interruption. When I began to see people as an interruption to the work that God wants to do. And God had to break me of that. That people are not an interruption. The person that God puts in front of you is God's assignment to you. The person that God puts in front of you is God's assignment to you. Burn your five-year plan. Destroy your to-do list for today. The person that God brings into your life at that moment is God's assignment to you. We have to give people our time. We need to create margin in our lives. If we're so busy, we don't even have time to visit our grandmother in the nursing home. Then we're too busy. If we don't have time to visit the person in our life group who's in the hospital, then we're too busy. If our attitude is, no, that's why we pay him so he can go do it because I'm too busy, then we're missing God's assignment for our lives. We show the love of God to the lonely with our time. So we love with touch. We love with listening. And we love with our time. And I believe that this is the call of the church today, dealing with this epidemic of loneliness, dealing with this epidemic of relational poverty, is that we as the church can respond in a way that no other organization can, through our touch, through, through our listening, and through our time of meeting the needs of those who are lonely. Right? That's why here at Greenbelt we say that we, we're a caring church. It's one of our core values of who we are. We're a caring church, but we need to become more caring. Right? We as Christians, those who are more mature in our faith, we need to take kind of stock of where we're, where we're at in our own lives, and we need to take a step closer to those who are lonely. Now, what if you're here today or you're watching online and you're lonely? I want you to know that we love you and we care about you, but as we are taking a step closer to you, I need you to take a step closer to us. Do you hear that? 
If you're lonely, don't assume the pastor and the elders know it. There's 428 people who come to this church. I don't know what's going on. I can't know what's going on. If you don't take a step closer to us. That's why we want everybody in a life group. So that you can be doing life with other people. So that people so it's not that you have to know everybody, but that so that you are known by somebody. So as we as the church take a step closer to those who are lonely, if you're here today watching online, take a step closer to us. <laughs> Let us know. Fill out a connection card. Join a life group. Take steps to get closer. But ultimately, if you're struggling with loneliness, I want you to know that God loves you. <laughs> and that God is always with you. You're not here by accident. You're not hearing this message by accident. God has brought you to know that God loves you and he cares about you. I love what God said through the prophet Isaiah, where God said, don't you be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Even in our darkest times of loneliness, God is with you. And that starts with that relationship with God. And the way that we get that relationship with God is not by being a good boy or a good girl. It's not by keeping all these rules, but it's by recognizing that you and I have something in our lives called sin. And this sin keeps us separated from this God who shows his love to us, who wants to be with us. And the only way we can deal with this sin is not to try to clean up our own lives, but it's to give that sin to God and say, because God dealt with your sin, he dealt with my sin when Jesus died on the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. Every sin of every person for every generation has been dealt with. Now just come to me. And if you're here today or you're watching online, you can start that relationship by simply praying a simple prayer that says, you know, pray it in your heart. Just say, God, thank you that Jesus died for me. Thank you that I don't have to work out my sin on my own. That because you love me, I could be made new. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Today I give you my life. And when you pray that way, this verse in Isaiah becomes your reality. God is with you. He'll strengthen you, even in those times of loneliness. But we don't want you to just deal with your loneliness with just with God, because God created something incredible. It's called the church. And the church is not perfect. It's full of people. But as we are pursuing Jesus together, we come alongside one another. Even the most extreme introvert can find one person to connect with in God's family to grow together, to pray together, to encourage one another, to laugh together, to cry together for God's glory and for our great joy. So we as the church, let's love with touch, let's love by listening, let's love with our time because our world desperately needs it. Let's pray.